Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Albuverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping, coming smooth. Jumping, and the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome to another edition of the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right, as always, by Graham Hall. Graham, what's up? Happy to be back in the studio again with you. Always a pleasure to be here with you, Zach, and never a shortage of things to talk about, it seems. I was just out here waiting for you to pull up to the studio when I saw Florida softball advance, and we got that and a whole lot of other things to talk about today, but what a game that was by the Gators. I, I was blown away, and, and they're going to have a chance to contend for a national championship here pretty soon if they keep playing like that. And absolutely, not only trying to contend for that title, but an SEC tournament title to go along with their SEC regular season title, the the ninth in, in program history, and shout out to Tim Walton and his team for getting that accomplished in pretty incredible and exciting fashion with the walk-off, their second one of that series. So we'll definitely get into softball. We'll talk some baseball as well toward the end of the show. But we got a lot of football topics to run through today. Uh, Certainly got to mention the guys that enrolled uh, on campus this week and joined the program. Uh, Commitment on the recruiting trail and the significance of that we'll we'll discuss. And also in the second segment, Graham and I will get into some 2022 NFL draft projections that have been put out in recent days for the returning Florida football players. We know where all the former Gators are headed in the NFL, but where could some guys for next year's draft be going? There's already four Gators, Graham, getting uh, some projections to go in the opening round. So we'll talk about that and what that means for next year. But First, want to start with uh, the news and the video, more importantly, that we got this week, Graham, and really cool to see uh, come out from the Gators football Twitter account, which was Dewan Black and Marcus Burke moving into their dorms, enrolling for the summer A semester, and and for Burke, obviously, a special moment for him, something he's worked for his whole life, but for Dewan Black, uh, a little bit more significance for him just because of all the leaps and bounds that he's had to go through to get to this point. And look, you got to give this guy a lot of credit. Anytime an athlete in a high school football recruit or basketball recruit, whatever, signs with a Power 5 program or a program of Florida's uh, you know, pedigree and then can't qualify, that's a tough situation to go through. And many times those athletes – don't end up signing with that school that they inked without a high school. So for Dewan Black to stick with it, for the Gators to stick with him, certainly was a really cool thing to see all of his determination, perseverance paid off. 
And man, he was showing all 32 teeth there when he moved into the dorm. Just the smile on his face, ear to ear. You could just see what that moment meant for him and also what he's going to mean to that Florida defense. He's one of those unicorn guys, Graham, that they like to talk about. Someone that can play multiple positions. I think his spot is still to be determined. But a guy that when he committed to Florida Graham out of high school was ranked the number 22 overall recruit in the country. So he is an elite talent coming to Gainesville. I know that I was not the only one out there that kind kind of got a little bit teary-eyed when I saw that video because th- this is a different scenario than I think we're really used to seeing when it comes to recruiting. Not only what you just mentioned about the unlikeliness of a guy winding back up with the program that initially he signed with after going the JUCO route and a few delays in the case of Dewan, but with social media, with how everything is given a little bit of a more introspective look at the lives of recruits and fans for good and bad. It's not all good. We, we know that. And it's definitely not all bad in the case of Dewan Black. You got to see a young man go through the trials and tribulations of realizing his dream. And you got to see him down, fighting through it, joyful when you saw that he got that diploma where he could finally make that trip to Gainesville and then now that he is in Gainesville you're going to see that personality that fans fell in love with play out under the Florida brand which it it, 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 you're going to see how genuine it really is is what I'm saying and that is why so many people without even knowing Dewan have been rooting for him for the better part of two years and you have to give him a whole lot of credit he never shied away from the Florida fan base a lot of other guys when disappointment sets in when they don't qualify, don't get to enroll right after signing, realize their dream, have to postpone everything that they've worked for. They can become a little bit introverted, I guess you could say. They could become kind of hermits and and shy away from social media, which is a reminder. But Dewan embraced it. He kept coming to games. He stayed around the program, stayed in touch. He always said he was 100% a Gator. And to see him realize that dream two years later... It's been wonderful to see Zach. Yeah, it is, and obviously exciting to see where how he fits into Florida's defense because he's a guy that could play outside linebacker. He's a guy that could play star. He's a guy that could play safety. Um, he's got the versatility and the athleticism to play multiple spots, and I think it's just a matter of where he fits in best, where he's needed the most, and obviously what where he transitions, I think, easiest. Uh, but no doubt, I think, especially coming in as a Juco prospect and uh, the number one in the country at that, you're going to see him contribute uh, defensively. And, 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 you know, we'll see what Marcus Burke is able to contribute as a freshman, but he is a big piece that they add to that wide receiver room, Graham. And we'll kind of get a little bit more in depth with it as we talk about the commitment that the Gators got this week. But uh, this is a really important piece for Florida to add in Marcus Burke because you know you, you think about where their wide receiver room is. Obviously, they lost some some major pieces uh, from, from last season and, and just kind of the turnover that's happened at that position the last couple of years. Um, there's a lot of new faces, but there's a lot of production to replace, more importantly. And to, to have guys coming in like Marcus Burke who – really showed at the high school level the ability to be a vertical threat. And that's kind of what he's going to bring to the table at UF. Um, that's that's kind of what the Gators have been looking for because they lost those in a big way the last couple of years with guys like Tyree Cleveland and Trevon Grimes and some of the others on their way out, certainly Kyle Pitts as well. And Burke is a guy that 
in his two years at Trinity Christian, averaged over 20 yards a catch, um, you know, total in all the games that he played, but didn't start playing football, high school football, until his junior year. So this is a really raw recruit, a guy that that is coming in and has a lot of development to be had at the receiver position, and what better coach to mold him than Billy Gonzalez. But you just watch how he played, you watch his tape, and then you look at the teams that came after him late in that 2021 cycle. I mean, Georgia was after him hard, Graham, and and if you folks that remember that followed his recruitment, there was a sentiment out there that, that thought that he might end up in Athens. So for Florida to be able to keep this guy not only in state, but go and get somebody out of the Duval area, who then, after committing to Florida, goes and leads the Conquerors to their first state title since 2016. And yes, he led them at the receiver spot because he caught two fourth quarter touchdowns to help them come back and get that win uh, in that 3A state title game. And they were down 16-0 at halftime. He caught a 50-yard bomb in the fourth quarter and then another one on fourth down. Uh, both of those plays, he showed his ability to just kind of burn guys and, and get deep. So to add somebody like that who was wanted by several you know, major programs, the Florida States, Miami's, Auburn's, um, and obviously to beat him, uh, Georgia for him, and, and to add some bodies to that room is, is definitely what you needed, and he gets on campus early. I'm glad that you mentioned the amount of programs that were vying for his signature, because that ultimately was a better indicator of whatever recruiting rankings people want to throw out from last year. I mean, we have talked ad nauseum about how recruiting services likely suffered when it came to rankings because of the lack of camps, the shortage of games, you name it. There were so many factors that we've discussed that probably led to kids being undervalued getting that three-star ranking when probably in another year they would have been a four-star. I mean, Zach, you have covered the amount of monumental rises in recent years around this area. And I think Burke had a very similar one when you look at how his offer sheet increased from last summer until he ended up signing. It was huge as programs looked at his potential and for Florida to hang on to him. It's not the first time that Dan Mullen has held on to a prospect that other teams wanted at the very end. But I think that we're going to look back here in a few years and include Burke in the discussion of ones that, wow, that's huge, just like Emory Jones. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, uh, you know, from a receiver recruiting standpoint, I mean, you look at what the Gators have been able to do now the last couple classes and and certainly what they did in the 2020 cycle by by bringing in the receivers uh, that they did. Xavier Henderson, Jaquavion Frazier, two guys that were All-American recruits, uh, consensus four stars. We saw Henderson come in and make an immediate impact as a freshman, but also to go into the transfer portal and get guys like Justin and Shorter and Jordan Pouncey, and then to follow that up in this last cycle with uh, Dejon Reynolds, who was an early enrollee, and now uh, Marcus Burke, too. Uh, again, four-star guys that, that you're bringing into the program, and we know what the what the Gators have, have, have gone through in terms of attrition there. So to have that kind of be where they're at roster-wise with their personnel, they're in they're in good shape. Maybe not great shape in terms of their wide receiver room, but they got a lot of numbers, they got a lot of depth, and they got, like you said, uh, Graham, guys that were pursued by major programs that they won battles for on the trail. And definitely just did that again with their latest commitment uh, for the 2022 recruiting cycle, Isaiah Bond, who committed to Florida on Mother's Day, um, and a a big commitment for the Gators, even though he's um, not that highly rated yet by all the recruiting services, but you look at his offer sheet with schools like Alabama and Miami and Texas after him, 
this was a big get for the Gators. And it looked for a time there like uh, Miami, which put the absolute full court press on this kid, was uh, in a great spot to land his commitment. And I know that they were trending for him at one point. But for Florida, they were able to really sell him on not only playing receiver, but the production that's been had at that position and specifically what Kadarius Tony was able to do. And that, Graham, is one reason why his pledge is so important is because the Gators weren't really able to go out in the 2021 cycle and get a guy for that slot position that can come in and kind of replace Kadarius Tony. So by going out and getting Isaiah Bond, who is a track guy, you watch him on tape, his speed just jumps out at you, and he can play that slot position, um, that, that really puts them in, in a good spot. And, and it's interesting, you know, Rivals has him rated as a cornerback in Alabama, and Nick Saban were actually recruiting him as a defensive back. So uh, this is not the you know first receiver that Ford has landed in recent years that was also being recruited by the Gators as or excuse me by Alabama as a cornerback Jacob Copeland was also in that same boat and decided to come play wide receiver for the Gators and Bond makes that same decision. I think you look at his film there's a reason the term athlete is used just I think it's unfair to call him raw but he could certainly use a whole lot more polish and it's unclear you look at the amount of teams recruiting him there in the secondary like you mentioned they may believe that that is where his long-term future is at. This is a guy that in the 14 games he played last season with Buford when they went 13-1, and like Burke, won a state championship with him there. Uh, he was impressive on, on both sides of the field. I mean, he had more than 100 snaps mm. on both offense and defense. So you have a guy that many people I don't think had a great analysis of last year. And so maybe his recruitment was a little bit slow to get going, but now teams are starting to take notice as we get closer to that opening of the contact period on June 1st and where teams can really start focusing on needs for next season rather than needs for right now where the transfer portal was a huge focus focusing on NIL you're gonna see I think a lot more players gain steam here as we get into June and I think the bond is one of those guys and anytime that Billy Gonzalez puts the full court press on you I mean in my mind there's a good chance that you're gonna end up as a wide receiver with NFL potential in my mind yeah and look you got, you got to tip your hat to billy gonzalez and, and the staff there that, that helps them recruit receivers because they've done a great job and there's always so much talent in the state of florida when it comes to recruiting and you're not going to get every guy and a lot of times there are some top receivers that will go to alabama or georgia or what have you um and, and that's always tough to see as long as you're making sure if you're Florida that you're getting some of those top receivers in the state, but you're you're just putting together a good recruiting room and, and excuse me, a good receiver room through your recruiting and through your transfer portal additions. And Billy Gonzalez and Dan Mullen have been able to do that really since they arrived back at UF with Trevon Grimes and 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 Van Jefferson in, in the transfer portal. So uh, the latest addition mm. to Dan Mullen's recruiting yeah. staff, he had a, a big hand in recruiting Bond as well and and getting him to pledge to the Gators. He was actually involved in his recruitment at UCF, so now he comes over to the orange and blue and is able to help Gonzalez secure his pledge. So a big commitment for the Gators. I think you'll see his, like you said, Graham, his probably his recruiting ranking and profile uh, you know, rise up here in the coming months. We're going to get this first break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to switch gears. We've been talking about all the guys that are coming into the football program. We'll talk about some guys that will be coming out of the football program after next season and where they could hear their names called in the 2022 NFL Draft. We'll be right back after this break. 
Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast. Zach and Graham here. And Graham, as you know, it's never too early to look ahead, right? Whether it's preseason rankings, whether it's preseason All-Americans, or whether it's early, 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 early mock draft projections, which have already started to come out for 2022. Take them for what you will, obviously with a grain of salt, but they're... There's a you know four Gators here that are getting some love from NFL draft analysts, um, and obviously one guy that's no surprise is Kyrie Elam. Of the four Gators that have already received early first round projections, he is the name most mentioned. I mean the drafts that the mock drafts that I was going through, I think I went through at least over a dozen, and he was on every single first round mock draft. So. Really impressive for him to kind of be in that position, despite you know what the Gators produced defensively last season. He was one of the bright spots, uh, not only on that side of the ball, but in the secondary as well, being a first-team All-SEC selection. So he's got a chance to go in the first round, but not just the first round, potentially top ten. That's kind of the you know projections that we've seen both uh, Pro Football Focus. And uh, ESPN's Todd McShay had him going in the top 10. Obviously, the picks aren't set yet because the teams haven't played, but both of them are projecting that the Raiders, wherever they end up, they, they both think that they'll have a top 10 selection. And they both of those analysts from Pro Football Focus and ESPN expect Elam to hear his name called by the Raiders. And regardless, I mean, for him to be in that spot, I certainly going to extend forward a streak of first round picks, but just another guy from DBU going in the first round. And before we get into the other guys, Graham, I mean, he's definitely, I think, one of the highlight players and, and marquee players coming back for this year's team. We had talked often about how he had yet to even have a spring practice at Florida yeah. and, and what that could do for him this offseason. And all accounts were that he excelled in multiple categories. I think you're starting to see his intelligence really come out on the football field. We know that this guy is a very cerebral player. He understands the game well. You know that he has the NFL lineage that has helped guide him to this point. And I'm getting vibes of C.J. Henderson when it comes to his path, I think, to the NFL. A guy that started right when he got on campus, pretty much. And now, this is where a lot of expectations are going to be on him, not only to just be a leader on the field, but in that locker room. I think that you're going to have a lot of people taking notice of how he helps lead this defensive resurgence that Florida really expects to have this season. If the Gators are going to exceed expectations on the defensive end, it's going to pretty much start with the secondary, and he is the leader for them right now so high risk high reward if you ask me when it comes to the expectations for him this season but you're looking at it right now most people expect him to live up to it now now, Zach I kind of scoff sometimes I gotta say it at some of these early NFL mock drafts but let's remind everyone we're not the ones that created these way too early predictions I would say a lot of the responsibility falls on these coaches that are offering kids at 12 13 years old people just want to project where guys could pan out but you have to remember next season is going to determine it all yes at this point last year did any mock drafts have Kyle Trask as a second round pick I don't know I would love to see them they need to be tweeting it out and getting some credit but for Kyer Elam it's really clear when you look at the athletic profile the role he's in that he could be a top 10 and that's one of those 
predictions that absolutely has a whole lot of credence to it in my sure. mind. Obviously, his pedigree, too, with his dad and oh, his uncle. Yeah. Um, Mike Renner was the other analyst uh, from Pro Football Focus that had Elam as a top 10 overall pick. And Mike Renner has three Gators in his initial mock draft for 2022 in the first round. The second, Brenton Cox Jr., who mm. has his name, Graham, on four mock drafts. Hmm going into the first round. And his highest projection is actually uh, number 14 from Walter Football. Um, And then he's also got first-round projections from USA Today, Pro Football Focus, uh, Mike Renner, and also Sporting News. So this is a guy who was a second-team All-SEC selection last season. Um, Not his – certainly not his best. Uh, I I think he's got a a lot still to fill with his potential. But – you look at what he was able to do with the production that he had and and certainly coming back to a unit that is expected to make strides, I think that he's going to have to facilitate that. And, you know, one of the bright spots from that defensive side of the ball was the fact that the Gators were able to lead the SEC in sacks, and he had a big hand in that. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, four mock drafts have him going in, in, in the first round. I think of the four players that have – uh, had their names mentioned already, I think after Elam, he's probably the most likely at this point, I would say. I would agree. I mean, a former five-star who, when he was a freshman at Georgia, was already getting talks about being one of these NFL defensive linemen one day just based on what he was showing. And while I do think that the consensus was kind of that he had a down season last year, there seems to be this mentality, at least around people that I speak to, that Defensive players should be given at least a little bit of a pass based on the conditions, the lack of live tackling, live drills last season. And if you remember, Cox was so close to getting to the quarterback so many times. And I know that close doesn't count, but there are people who look at his speed, his his hands, his strength, his frame, and they see this guy that is going to put it all together this season. And I would not be shocked if he is an NFL first round pick here. But it's going to have to be him putting it all together this year. I will note something, and I don't know if anybody's realized this. I'm sure Dan Mullen hasn't even realized this. Mm-hmm. But as we all know, Graham, you know he's done a pretty good job so far with his number one selections because he arrived at UF and said, nope, nobody this first season gets that number one jersey. And then after 2018, he decides to assign it to two guys where did both of those guys get drafted, Graham? I believe they got drafted in the first round. They Zach. did get drafted that's, in the first round. Wow, that's right. And obviously we know some of the other guys that have worn number one, the Percy Harvins, the Reggie Nelsons, Vernon Hargraves. Guess where they got drafted as well. So if you're going to wear a number one, that's probably where you should be falling in the NFL draft. So we'll see if Cox can continue that tradition. Uh, another guy that has been on at least two mock drafts projections for the first round is the Gators leading tackler from last season Ventro Miller who I think if he plays himself into a first round pick he probably had a hell of a senior year Um, because obviously was another one of the Gators defenders that did have some bright spots at time I don't think he was great all around the board and and definitely had moments where he struggled as, as well as shined but a lot of I think Folks probably looking at his production, looking at him coming back and and being a guy that's a senior and really, I think, took a lot of steps from where he started out 
in terms of the playing time and the the reps that he got to where he is now. He, he's come a long way. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I think he's more of a day two guy personally if, if, if he is able to put himself in that position but nonetheless a huge piece coming back for the Gators on defense a huge role that he was in last season and I did think that he embraced it admirably but a lot was on his shoulders and a lot was he was blamed for a lot let's be honest yep. of the defense's issues last season and I, I think that what he battled through to still lead Florida in tackles you have to give him a whole lot of credit and it is why I think people expect him to take that next step I mean if I'm going to use the argument that defensive players were hindered with Cox. I mean, what can Ventrell Miller do with a full spring as the guy in the middle, with a full offseason with the rest of the defense, with a full fall camp of live tackling? That's the argument in my mind. If he can continue to take the next step, I'm with you, Zach. That's a second or third round guy. He's bigger than David Reese was, so you can't use the argument of Florida's man in the middle. It's just not cut out for the next level. I think the Ventreller is absolutely an NFL linebacker. No, he definitely is. We'll see where he ends up uh, putting himself in terms of his draft stock, but we'll also see what happens with Emory Jones, right? He's the fourth Gator, Graham, and Mike Renner. I mean, if you're talking about really going out on a limb, this is the projection right here. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus in his initial mock draft for the 2022, he's got Elam, excuse me, Emory going number six overall. Top 10 pick. First year as a starter. Like Cam Newton type of uh, ascendance. Man. I mean, if Emory's going in the top 10, Florida's having a special season. Um, obviously, Renner must really like Jones's game and or what he has the potential to do in this offense. Uh, it's also who he picked Jones to get drafted by. So he's assuming that the experiment with Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia is not going to work out. And they're going to be looking for a future franchise quarterback. And he thinks that Brian Johnson is going to be beating the table to draft Emory Jones after he is expected from what this projection would be to have a spectacular season as for the starter. Um, I guess the move would make a lot of sense, reuniting Jones with Johnson. But, man, first round? I mean, I could see him playing playing well enough in his first year as a starter to turn pro. Um, and maybe even be a first-round pick, but, ah, man, top 10, uh, we'll see. All this talk of reuniting with Brian Johnson and moving on from Jalen Hurts, I'm kind of feeling like I'm playing you know, Madden franchise mode or something. I mean, this is a dream scenario for, obviously, Emory Jones. If he can play his way with one year of starting experience under his belt, especially, I mean, no offense to him when I say this, but to come off the way that Florida played in the Cotton Bowl the last time he had a showing. I know that it was a lot of unfair circumstances around that, but the last thing he put on film as a starter was was not very, I mean, not as a starter, but as, as a, the quarterback under center for Florida was not ultimately extremely impressive in my mind. So that is a huge jump. Yes, absolutely. Let's let's call it what it is. I'm going to go he didn't ahead. It looked like a top 10 pick in that game. Let's be that's just honest. I mean and and we're not saying that he can't be. Let's let's go out here and but say in that game though. But that, right, like that's your last impression. That's your that's that's what everyone's thinking of if you're a Florida fan cuz you didn't have a spring game or not an, like you or have an to, analyst. Not like you have to remind any Florida fans, but also, you know, Zach, I got to go ahead and say I'm going to have to quote another 
SEC coach here and let you know what this is for Emory Jones and his family. This is rat poison. <laughs> you do not want to be reading this heading into your first summer in control of the reins. And you don't want to read, hey, people think I'm going to be the number six pick. My son's the number six pick. Because then you were setting yourself up for disappointment. Kyle Trask was not reading that last. And it was probably for his benefit. No one was writing that about Kyle Trask. I mean, he didn't even win the starting job because there wasn't a spring last year. So he wasn't coming out being like, oh, Kyle Trask is a first round. If anything in my mind, Zach, if I'm a Florida fan right now reading NFL mock draft, I'm kind of taking this the wrong way. And here's why. This is saying that Kyle Trask, that Florida's offense, the credit belongs on Dan Mullen's shoulders and that these guys are going to benefit enough in Dan Mullen's system to play their way into that. And I mean, I I love to believe that, but I think it's kind of taken away some credit for what Kyle Trask did last year. I I think that just assuming, oh, Emory Jones... You bring another more mobile quarterback in who, who another be- five-star, this is what a two-star did. You know, you know what I'm saying? I think there's some people right now trying to talk themselves out of Kyle Trask and his numbers, and we saw that all of last season heading into the Heisman talk where people just scoffed in, in a sense at, or said, well, you know, Kyle Trask, he didn't really break those records. It was because of, you know, Dan Mullen, quarterback whisper. Kyle Pitts. Now they're, yeah, Kyle Pitts, the weapons he had, you know. Now they're using that to prop up Emery. I mean, I, I like it, but you there's two ways you could take it I here. I will say this is Mike Renner's projection. Let's be very clear about that. Nothing on him. Pro, nothing on him, of but course. I'm just but. saying, but I mean, there might not be many other draft analysts out there that view Emery Jones in, in this light yet. So, um, again, take this with a grain of salt. It's clearly just a talking point for us in the offseason. But nonetheless... Um, letting you guys know what these folks think about your Florida football players and, and some of the top guys returning for next year and, and our next season, should I say. And obviously, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I definitely think you'll see Elam in a position to continue this first round streak, but uh, definitely a chance to have multiple Gators drafted. Um, and speaking of Emory Jones, another uh, former Florida quarterback spending the news a lot. Of course, not as quarterback as a tight end now Graham we don't have to get a lot into it because it's been discussed at nauseum on every single airwave and tv show radio show podcast but Tim Tebow is once again dominating the news cycle because of his involvement with the Jacksonville Jaguars and you guys have all seen the stories and reports by now as of Thursday afternoon, nothing official yet in terms of him signing with Jacksonville. The ink has not dried, nor has Penn even been put to paper yet, according to Urban Meyer. But he's worked out three times with the team at tight end. This seems like a foregone conclusion at this point that he will at least sign. And there has been so many opinions about this including Brandon Spikes, who's very, very outspoken about his support of uh, his former coach and teammate. Graham, I don't want to go too much into this because I think there's pretty much everything has been said, but what was your take and two cents on this whole situation so far? I was pretty shocked. I mean, the man hasn't played in the league since 2012. No disrespect to Tim Tebow as a person, but... The NFL is not like college football. 
I am extremely skeptical that that Tim Tebow can provide an overnight culture shift in the Jacksonville locker room, which is what Urban Meyer seems to think he will do. I mean, if Urban is scouting him as a tight end and, and thinks that he's going to come in here and haul in 10 touchdowns and be better than Tyler Eifert, who was getting up there in age as well, I mean, I think it's more of an indictment <laughs> on the Jacksonville Jaguars tight end room. No, and, no kidding. And maybe even on Tebow himself. as If he was capable of playing tight end in the NFL, hauling in 500 receiving yards a season for the last few years, why weren't you doing it? I mean, I'm sorry, man. Like, I, I, maybe it just it, it just took Urban he, Meyer he, noticing it. He didn't want to play tight end, or, or he only wanted to play quarterback, and now it seems like the only situation that he was willing to change positions for was to play for Urban Meyer. If Urban Meyer's not in Jacksonville, he's not having three workouts at tight end with an NFL team. I don't even think he's considering it, right? And it's Urban's right? the only one. Yeah, and Urban's the only one who could pull it off without every other fan base thinking, oh my God, we are a joke. I mean, if you are a team that expects to be competing for the playoffs next year and there are all these other tight ends available out there, I mean, Revan Jordan went very late and I think that he's probably a better tight end than Tim Tebow. I think... At least Miami fans know now that he's not better than Kyle Pitts. I I got to... I'm glad that that was clarified. I remember a few years ago when there were some Miami fans mad at me, I I won't name any names, for not remembering Brevin Jordan's recruiting ranking when discussing Kyle Pitts' freshman season because it, it was kind of like you were supposed to talk about him as second to Brevin at the time. And, and then, hey, things ended up a little bit different. But anyway, back to Tebow. I think that if this guy was able of playing the position, why would he have spent all the time with the Mets? If there's any more laughable franchise in pro sports than the team that invested all their money with Bernie Madoff... I can't think of it off the top of my head, but he spent years there trying to hang on to a pro career. If he could have played tight end in the NFL the last few years, I mean, was his comfortability with Urban the only thing that would have made him want to do that? I think so. I really That I, is I, what I, is wild to me. I really think that he wouldn't even be considering this move um, if, if Urban wasn't in Jacksonville. And I really believe former it. Former Alligator Sports reporter Jeff Darlington reported yesterday on ESPN that the Jaguars locker room is split on the potential signing of Tim Tebow. They think that this guy will not possibly come and change the culture. I don't know if you saw his his comments yesterday, but clearly it's divisive around the area. And the only way to end the discussion is for it either to happen and Tebow proves everyone wrong or all the naysayers are proved right when this guy doesn't work out. But either way, I must admit it's fascinating. <laughs> I have never, ha- I haven't had as staunch of an opinion on a potential backup tight end for a team that was the worst in the NFL last season than I have right now. So you got to give Jacksonville some credit for being in the news cycle right now for that. But yeah, I feel like they're Did- also overshadowing Trevor Lawrence. If I'm Trevor Lawrence, I want all the headlines to be about but, me. But is is that true, or is that maybe a good thing for Trevor that it's taking some of the attention away from him? I mean, yeah, put it all on Tebow. But he is, can is, handle it. But Trevor's still going to have to come out there week one, and if he's not the starter, people are going to look around oh, and no, say, no, what oh, are they oh, doing? He'll be the starter. So the pressure is going to be it's there. Just, he's not going to be – if Tebow signs and makes the team, 
every single reporter that's there will be dedicating all their time and energy into just covering Trevor Lawrence. Trevor's getting a one-month vacation from the news cycle before he has to report to his big boy job. That's the way I'm looking at it. He's going off... With his wife, maybe they that's just got, what, maybe that's that's maybe that's part of the plan. If that's Graham. Tony Khan's present to him. I think that's genius. But Zach, you ready? I don't get into conspiracy theories too much, but I'm going to give you one right now, and I want your take on it. Boom. Here's why Tim Tebow news came out that day because we know, as Adam Schefter has talked about, as Ian Rappaport has talked about, there's sometimes incentive for these big reporters to put out info on a certain day, just like the Aaron Rodgers news coming out on the day of the draft. That was calculated, just like the Tebow news coming out. I mean, because there were rumors of him trying out for the tight end room before this, but the big wig, Ian Rappaport, putting it out, one of the best in the business, the same day that Tony Khan's other team, Fulham, the Premier League team, got relegated, which will cost him nine figures approximately in revenue in a time where... Mm-hmm. I know that m- most people don't follow English soccer, but Tony Khan also is the vice chairman and the leader of the player development at Fulham that just got relegated from the Premier League and now is going to lose about $150 million, about 100, 100 million euros next year. And so what better way to possibly build up some excitement and to distract from the bad PR that he's getting overseas, the Tim Tebow news coming out. I think that those two are absolutely calculated. Relegation is... You should look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. I think that they have to have some link. I definitely think Jacksonville should have done this a long time ago. He should have been brought there, just tried out at quarterback. Obviously, they're doing it now at tight end. I mean, look, I'm interested to see if and when at this point, potentially, he does get signed to the team, how he is used. Because it's not going to be as a traditional pass-catching tight end. I mean, if anything, this dude's going to be like an H-back. Are they running the Wildcat? Are they, like, bringing him around on a reverse? Are they throwing him a middle screen and, like, just letting him run people over? Uh, we'll we'll see. Is he is he, is he he getting the shovel passes that, uh, as his boy Aaron Hernandez used to get? I mean, I, I don't know, man. Like, it, it's like you said. At the end of the day, it's fascinating. It creates conversation. It gets eyes on their team. Probably doesn't make, you know, the locker room the happiest. But at the end of the day, as you said, it will all work itself out. And once football starts and the games begin getting played, this this won't matter as much unless he's still part of the team and his involvement in the office and the offense is is there. Like that could continue to be a storyline throughout the season. But you know, not, nonetheless. We'll continue to monitor it. I'm, I'm sure Florida fans, if he is signed to to Jacksonville, will have a little bit more intrigue maybe in the Jaguars. They better get hard knocks in there if they do. I mean, I would be captivated at seeing, th- what, 33, 32-year-old 30, Tim Tebow giving a, a pep talk. I would love to see it, man, as if this is... <laughs> well, I've said, uh, I've said this I a couple... I need to see it. I've said this a couple times already, but I'm going to tell you what. Team prayer with Tebow and Trevor, forget about it. It's over. <laughs> they are going to be undefeated. Don't even try. They're going to be undefeated in pregame prayers. Like They're going to be 17-0. and 0. There's going to be no team that can compete with their pregame prayers. I need yeah. Tebow to ask Trevor about the recruiting photo of him holding the pistol. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yes. That needs to come out. Uh, I need it. Oh, uh, mm. man. Well, obviously, uh, Tim Walton, he needed that SEC title. 
and uh, the Gators were able to deliver with the sweep of the Aggies. I was there for Friday night's game. It was uh, very fun, incredible to see them win in walk-off fashion and then did it once again on Sunday to capture the title. So uh, they're competing now in Tuscaloosa at the SEC tourney. Just got the win uh, over Mississippi State, 6-2. to two. And obviously the baseball team was able to go on the road and take care of business at Kentucky, get their uh, second series road win of the season. And after they dropped the first game 5-7, uh, to seven, they, they won the next two. Their undefeated streak against Stetson did come to an end on Tuesday uh, on the road uh, at the land, but the Gators will be back home this weekend for a matchup against Georgia, their final home SEC series of the season before they hit the road to face number one Arkansas to close out uh, their their conference slate. So shout out to both the baseball team and softball team, Graham. I mean, both of those programs playing great ball right now, playing great ball at the right time. And, and obviously, as they head into uh, you know the tournaments and stuff, uh, they want to have to try and keep it up, and I think they're going to be able to. Yeah, you you had a great uh, seat for that softball walk-off, absolutely, and, and we've said it all season long. The way that this team has responded, not losing an SEC series all year, I mean, they just don't let the losses pile up, and when you get into this time of double elimination, when you're going to be playing in NCAA regionals, that is absolutely huge to have that mentality and that experience, and we'll find out here pretty soon who they're going to play in the next round. They're going to play the winner of Missouri in LSU. That game is right now as we speak in the third inning. Missouri has a 1-0 lead, so we'll see. If the Gators have a chance, a little bit of redemption, Missouri did beat them 10-2 in the middle of that series a couple weeks ago before the Gators did win the series up there in Columbia. And yeah, as for baseball, Zach, I mean, this team is really in a groove right now. I've said it before that they have found their guy in Jack Leftwich, which, I mean, to say that six weeks ago was kind of laughable. <laughs> in a sense, but the role that he has accepted, embraced, and thrived in now. I mean, he's a guy who can go and give you four innings three days in a row, and Florida has needed that recently. And this SEC, with the number one team coming up here to close out the season, they need to have momentum going into the tournament. They can't finish the season the way they started, losing a series. And if I'm Kevin O'Sullivan right now, I am really, really liking what I'm getting out of Hunter Barco as my Sunday guy, and and Franco Alleman. Give him a whole lot of credit for how he's embraced Friday because these two guys were not necessarily had the amount of hype coming into the season that Tommy Mace and Jack Lefwich and and even some of the other guys like Jacob Young had with the hitting streak. So kudos to them for helping Florida get to where they are, a top 10 ranking in the ultra-competitive SEC, and and we'll see what happens here with regionals coming up. I would be shocked, Zach, if both of these teams are not hosting regionals here in a couple of weeks. No doubt. And definitely want to give a shout out as well to the men's tennis team. They were able to advance during the first weekend of the NCAA tournament with wins over uh, South Alabama and South Florida. And they will be back in action next against Illinois. And then also want to give a shout out to uh, the women's golf team. Just came close to uh, advancing, Graham. They were so good on the final day of the three-day tournament, but one stroke, I mean, you got to be kicking yourself, especially to miss a putt. The amount of times I've been out there too, you know, three putting. I mean, these are close to professionals as it gets. And golf is such a cruel sport to lose by one stroke. I mean, you got to be pounding your head uh, moving on. But, you know, who is moving on? The men's tennis team. I mean, 
the job that Shelton has done this season. The Gators have been number one basically all season long. They look like an absolute machine right now facing the Illini here coming up. If they can move on, get into the Elite Eight, I, I, I'm, I'm rocking with them the rest of the way here. I think that you know the run that he has been on being the SEC coach for the last two years as well, this is just their time to, to bring the championship to Gainesville, and we'll see here pretty soon if they end up doing it. Absolutely, and we'll see pretty soon if things shake out with this Tebow and Jacksonville episode. Edge of my seat, man. Ah. I mean, but look, like you said, it takes the uh, the pressure off of Lawrence there for a little bit. Something I'm sure he can probably use. Uh, but we'll continue to monitor that situation. We know now that uh, the Gators have added two more members from their 2021 class. The final eight recruits will be enrolling on June 28th for the summer B semester. And by that time, not only will they have all their signees on campus but recruiting will be in full swing with official visits and guys coming to campus so definitely a lot to look forward to we'll start to preview that as we get closer to the month of june for graham hall i'm zach Appleverde.